Today on Blue 58, the Packers' youth movement is hardly more obvious anywhere than at wide receiver. The Packers have completely revamped their receiver room over the past two seasons. Will it be any good? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. We are going to talk wide receivers today, but first I want to talk about something else. We're going to flip back over to defense and talk about edge rusher for just a second. Paul Brettel of Packers Wire had an interesting piece this week talking about whether or not the Packers are going to keep five or six edge rushers, and he talked about some things that are similar to what we've touched on, but in a new and interesting way. So let's dive into the piece. I want to highlight a couple paragraphs here, specifically talking about Justin Hollins and Brenton Cox. The piece begins with a more in-depth discussion of Hollins, saying something along these lines, while saying exactly these things. Quote, the roster locks at this position, edge rusher, include Gary, Preston Smith, J.J. Nikbari, and Lucas Van Ness, with Brenton Cox, Justin Hollins, Jonathan Garvin, Keyshawn Banks, and Ladarius Hamilton competing for a final roster spot or two. It's dangerous to make assumptions at this time of year, but I'm going to anyway. What I see this decision coming down to is if Gary is healthy and on the week one roster, the Packers have to choose between keeping both Hollins and Cox or just one of them to main five edge rushers on the 53-man roster. So taking a pause here for a second, he mentions that Hollins has stood out in camp so far. There are, however, some complications there. His contract structure is such that it wouldn't cost a whole lot to cut him. And if the Packers feel like there is higher upside elsewhere on the roster, there might be a different conversation to be had here. And Paul dives into that conversation, continuing with his piece. Quote, Cox, meanwhile, was one of just a few players that Lafleur specifically mentioned when discussing which players had stood out during the offseason programs. Off-the-field issues kept Cox from being drafted, but in terms of on-the-field talent, he is a former five-star recruit who produced as a pass rusher in the SEC and, for what it's worth, graded out well as a run defender by Pro Football Focus. Similarly to what the Packers did last year with offensive tackle Caleb Jones, I wouldn't be surprised if they feel they have to keep Cox and his upside on the 53-man roster rather than the practice squad to prevent him from being signed by another team, end quote. Now, this is the new angle that I wanted to talk about in terms of what Paul is bringing to the table here, because this is a roster-building trend that I don't think we can ignore, because the Packers, over the past couple years, specifically last year, really, have shown they are very comfortable keeping guys on the roster and not playing them. Just last year alone, you had Jonathan Ford, who was on the roster all season long but never suited up. Now, he's a draft pick. Still, I think it, it merits inclusion there. Sean Ryan, even pre-suspension last year, was basically a redshirt player. He wasn't playing at all. The Packers just had him around. Even even though he was a third-round pick, it's not like they were going to cut him anyway, but they wanted him around. They kept him even though they weren't playing him at all. Caleb Jones, a similar sort of story. Rasheed Walker, a similar sort of story. The Packers are comfortable keeping guys around and not playing them. Cox might be the kind of player that falls into that category this year, and that kind of puts all other considerations as far as what the Packers do with their roster to the side. If you think about it from the perspective that the Packers don't even care whether they play or not, they just want guys with long-term upside, maybe a guy like Cox doesn't have to do things like contribute on special teams or you know, be a, I don't know, stalwart run defender. If he's got enough upside as a pass rusher, maybe the Packers just say, shoot, we're going to stash him for the year on the 53-man roster, and we'll just let the rest shake out as it may. 
Now, I don't think we can entirely ignore special teams. Special teams are going to have their say, which complicates the pictures for guys like Justin Hollins or Brenton Cox or, you know, Ladarius Hamilton and, and things like that. Some of those guys play a lot of special teams. Some of those guys are rookies. Some of those guys didn't play special teams at all. Really one of each there. Hamilton was a core, uh, not a core special teamer, but when he played, he was on special teams almost exclusively. Brenton Cox, we don't know. And Justin Hollins didn't play teams really at all last year. That is going to factor in here. But I think Paul is on to something here that you can't ignore the trend that the Packers have, have established. They're fine stashing the guys, and, and maybe you should factor that in when you think about who's going to be on the roster and who won't. Okay, wide receivers. Before we get to wide receivers, I want to shout out three Patreon supporters today, uh, giving a shout out, a tip of the cap to Joseph Stuckey, James Herring, and Joseph Niblett today, each of them Patreon supporters, which you can become too if you head to patreon.com slash sweep. We appreciate your support there. Any amount that you give helps us keep this show going, helps us buy the things that we need to make this show exceptional, uh, equipment, uh, database access for all sorts of behind-the-scenes research, podcast hosting doesn't come cheap. All those things uh, are supported by your support here too. And in exchange, you get some things in return. First, you get to know that you are helping keep the show ad-free and contributing to what you think is a good podcast, but you also get access to our Discord server where we've got all sorts of great discussions going with Packers fans from all over the world all of the time. Today's discussion has centered on the Mandela effect, which is something that you should research in your free time. Even if you're not interested in in joining the Discord, that'll mess with your brain, whether you believe it or not. You also get some bonus content, which we are trying to be a little bit better about uh, via Patreon. This week, I've got a post in the works about uh, just some show-and-tell stuff for my own memorabilia collection. I'm excited to share a couple of the things that I've got there. So check that out, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. You get access to all that good stuff, and help keep the show going. Okay, wide receivers. Right off the bat, I don't know if you've heard, but they are very young and a very inexperienced group. In fact, the Packers have turned over their entire wide receiver room over the past two years. Nobody who's going to be playing this year was around as recently as 2021. And just by way of comparison, that receiver room had a lot of interesting veterans in it. Two years ago, the Packers' top six receivers in terms of targets were Devontae Adams, who was in his eighth year, Alan Lazard, who was in his fourth year, Marquez Valdez-Scantling in his fourth year, Randall Cobb in his 11th year, Equinemius St. Brown in his fourth year, and Jawan Winfrey in his third year. The least experienced guy in that group would be the most experienced player on this year's roster, well, among the wide receivers. But on top of everything else, skill, catching ability, route running, all of those things. The Packers wide receivers this year are one thing. They are fast. Looking back at that 2021 group, there were two receivers among the top six there that ran faster than a 4-5 in the 40-yard dash. You can quibble on Randall Cobb's 40 time. Uh, We've talked about that in the past. A lot of people report 4.55 as his 40-yard dash time. There's evidence from the combine, even official times that say he ran as low as like a 4.43, I think. But in his 11th year, he was probably not getting in that neighborhood. That caveat notwithstanding, the 2021 core was a lot slower than what the Packers have this year. Only two guys had combine measurements faster than 4.5 in the 40. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown. This year, you've got Christian Watson running a 4-3-6. Jaden Reed, who was clocked by the Packers, though not at the Combine, 
at a 4.37. Romeo Dobbs does not have a 40 time listed, but he was among the fastest players at the Senior Bowl in 2022. Bo Melton, further down the depth chart, ran a 4.34 in timing, and Samori Ture, a 4.44. There's a lot of speed in this room in addition to youth, and they're going to get where they're going quickly even if we're not entirely sure what to expect from this room overall. So let's dive into those expectations a little bit. We've got our standard four categories, no expectations, low expectations, moderate expectations, and high expectations. Just as a recap, no expectations, well, that's obvious. Low expectations should be your roster fillers, guys. If you make the 53, that's basically great at that point. Mainly low-end roster guys and practice squad players. Moderate expectations are your practice, or your, um, not practice squad, you're like role-player type guys. Guys that are going to fill a specific job for you but aren't necessarily going to be counted upon to raise the standard of your team. And then high expectations players, your core core guys on offense and on defense, guys that should be elevating your team, guys that you are asking a lot from. No expectations group includes Jada Kisbons, Jeff Cotton, Deuce Watts. Nice to have each of you here. We're not expecting really anything from you guys. Jadakus Bonds, an objectively cool name. Jeff Cotton, less cool, but still fairly unique. And Deuce Watts, as a wide receiver, is wearing number 22, which I guess is cool for a receiver. Moving on to the low expectations, guys. I start with Malik Heath here, one of the more undrafted. One of the more interesting undrafted free agents. Almost, I almost said one of the more uninteresting free agents. No. One of the more interesting undrafted free agents this year. We've talked about him on a couple of different occasions. A very long road to get to Mississippi, but was actually quite productive there in his final year in college. So I put him in this tier because I think he's got a leg up on all those other undrafted guys. He's interesting. He's not a great tester. He has good size, which fits with what Matt LaFleur and the Packers have liked to do historically. But interesting does not necessarily mean he has a good shot at the roster. And looking at the depth chart above him, it'd be a big ask to get him to the 53. So meeting expectations for him comes down to basically making the practice squad. It's always a safe bet to say that he won't, so that would be my prediction. But I don't think he's got enough speed to make it. And this is one of the predictions I've made so far that I'm the least confident about. If I end up being wrong on Malik Heath, I would not be surprised at all. But I think with what the Packers have done over the past couple of years, they really are showing a preference for speed. And I don't know if Heath has it even to the level of, say, like a, a Grant DeBose or a Dontavion Wicks. I think that they are just even a, a cut above him there, and that makes him a tough inclusion overall. Still wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised to see him play a Jeff Cotton sort of role this year. Bo Melton is the next in our low expectations group. He would be higher but for the roster working against him. Year two with the Packers, Seahawks drafted him last year, waived him before the end of the season. Packers claimed him, never appeared in the game, is very small, but is also very fast, and he's part of an ongoing shift toward small receivers. A couple years ago, it would be unusual to see any receiver on the Packers roster shorter than, say, 6'2". Now that's almost, the I don't want to say the exception, but other than Christian Watson, I don't think they've got anybody in their receiver room who's taller than 6'3". Maybe Malik Heath might be in there. I'd have to check there. But they're not as tall as they used to be. And they've seemed to make a concerted effort to move away from that ultra-big receiver mold that they had gone with you know, circa 2018 to 2021 or so. Melton is in the low expectations tier because he is athletic, sure. He does fit that sort of gadget mold, but the depth chart makes it pretty hard here. And the fact that the Packers drafted Jaden Reed 
who's basically the second-round pick version of Bo Melton. I mean, you do the math there. Are the Packers going to keep two of their kind of tendency-breaking receivers, even if they're, they're not quite as big as they were? They still do like their size at receiver. Are they going to keep two of those guys in the 53? That seems unlikely to me. So practice squad might be the way forward for Melton. And I do think he ends up on the practice squad again, just so they have some redundancy with, uh, with Reed. And the Packers have a pretty long-standing you know, interest in in Melton, uh, dating back to the, the 2022 draft. There was some pre-draft interest there, and they obviously claimed him last year, kept him all offseason, so maybe he sticks around in the practice squad again. I think he does. Our moderate ex- expectations tier includes three guys that are kind of versions of the same player, starting with Grant DeBose, a classic seventh-round pick late round wide receiver flyer for the Packers. He really falls into a group that seems pretty similar uh, to <laughs> to guys that we've seen dating back to, what, 2013, 2014? Samori Ture, Malachi Dupree, Jeff Janis, Charles Johnson, Kevin Dorsey, a lot of low floor, high ceiling sort of players. You're big testers, the guys that, if nothing else, at least they are big and can run fast. So he ends up in that moderate expectations tier just because he is a draft pick, because he's that classic late-round wide receiver flyer. I think to meet expectations, he's got to make the 53 at some point this season. I'm not saying initial 53-man roster, but we've really, I think, got to move away from that mindset of making the initial 53-man roster. Your mindset as an NFL player, well, outside of like if you're a day one or two pick, Anybody beyond that, your mindset has got to be, I've got to find a way to stick on a 53-man roster long-term. Whatever it takes for me to get there, whether it's ending up on a practice squad so I can get some seasoning, then get up to the 53, then, you know, eventually get that free agent deal. I want to, what you're trying to do is maximize your time on the roster so you can get through that rookie contract, so you can cash in and get some real money at some point. So I think DuBose is going to be on the 53 for the Packers at some point this year. I don't think he's a make it out of the gate guy. I don't think he has to make it out of the gate to be uh, a part of the Packers this year. Um, But I think he will end up at the 53 on the 53 at some point this year. So he starts the year on the practice squad. If the Packers are going to end up keeping six wide receivers, I think he's the sixth guy right now. Our next guy in this category is Samari Ture. It's wild that we're this far in and we haven't yet gotten to a guy who even played with the Packers last year, but here we are with Ture. He comes in having basically cameoed on offense last year. We, When we did our recap for the 2022 season, we said anybody who played under 100 snaps total for the year is a cameo player. You were just a guy like five years from now, you'll go, oh yeah, remember when he was on the 2022 Packers? And most people will say, no, who is that? Why are you talking about that? Please let me go, uh, you know, conversations that all of us have, or maybe it's just me. Anyway, Ture played 112 snaps on offense last year. For comparison, the next guy higher than him was Tyler Davis with 174. The next lowest guy was Amari Rogers with 98. That should give you an idea of the ballpark of what sort of player Ture was. Finished the year with five catches, 82 yards, a touchdown, two explosive plays for the balance of the season. He's in this tier because it's hard to say expectations are low for Ture this year. It's also hard to say expectations are high. Just looking at the construction of the depth chart right now, he seems pretty firmly slotted into that four to six range. He's not higher than Christian Watson. He's not higher than Romeo Dobbs, and he's probably not going to end up being higher this year 
than Jaden Reed. The ceiling seems like wide receiver number four. If he doesn't make the 53, I think it's a, it's a miss for Toure here in his second season. I think he does make the 53-man roster. So when you're talking about meeting expectations, got to start with that and then take steps forward from last year. There's always been, there's already been the you know best shape of his life conversation about Toure this offseason, talking about how he's added muscle from last year, which was good because he was listed at like 191 pounds for the Packers last year. He needs to be a little bit bigger than that, I think, to succeed with what he does for the Packers. So prediction-wise, I think he makes the roster. I think he hits double-digit catches this year, starts a game, and doubles his explosive play output from last year. Four up from two. That brings us to Dontavion Wicks, one of my favorite names on the Packers. It's just fun to say, Dontavion. Cool name. Much better than John. Maybe I will change my name to Dontavion Meerdink. I don't think so, but I've put more than zero seconds into considering it. Rookie fifth-round pick, bit bigger than Ture, and when I say bigger, I mean thicker. Uh, Ture is taller. Wicks is listed as 15 pounds heavier than Ture. 206 to 191. That is not inconsiderable, thinking about what the Packers like from their receivers. He's very similar to Ture, though. It's not clear if he's going to participate in special teams in a meaningful way. That was a bit of a a miss for, I think, people talking about Ture last year. We thought he would be a big contributor on special teams. That did not end up being the case. It's unclear what sort of role Wicks may play on special teams this year. I think his, his overall fairly low uh, top speed, 40-yard dash time, I think may be a factor there. But if he's willing, that goes a long way on special teams. I think he's got to meet expectations to make the 53, and I think he makes it uh, pretty easily. He may end up putting some kind of heat on Romeo Dobbs for snaps uh, as, an, as another outside receiver if he proves that he can be stronger off the line than Dobbs was last year, which is going to be the, the big problem for Dobbs, as we'll talk about here in just a couple of players. So I predict Wicks is going to make the initial 53-man roster I don't see a lot of playing time for him this year. So under 250 snaps on offense, under 15 catches, and I think just sort of a soft prediction here, I think he's going to end up being the Packers. Why isn't this guy getting reps player this year? Every year there's a guy like that. Some of it is well-founded. Some of it isn't. But I think Wicks ends up being the guy this year where people are asking by the midway end of the season, why isn't this guy getting more playing time? Shouldn't we at least see what he can do? Just want to get a little bit ahead of that storyline. I think he he really can do some interesting things, and I think people are going to want to see him. Moving to the high expectations tier, we start with second-round pick Jaden Reed. Very clear role for him on this team, and that's why he ends up with the high expectations. He's not going to be just a guy for the Packers this year. He's going to get a chance to do a lot of different things. He is their slot guy, their gadget guy, probably their punt return guy. You're going to be seeing, I think, a lot of Jaden Reed this year. If Amari Rodgers got as many opportunities as he did as a rookie, even as just a punt returner, I think Reed gets even more than that. What does he have to do then to meet expectations? I think he's got to be a clear upgrade over who they've tried in gadget roles basically since prime Tyler Irvin was in town. What was that, 2019? He's got to be the guy who can move the defense on jet sweeps. He's got to be the guy that can be a a true slot receiver in a way that they really haven't had since 2014 Randall Cobb. He's got to be a guy who can do a little bit of everything for you on offense and probably return some punts too. And I think he will get a chance to to return punts. And even if he, it's 
Keyshawn Nixon there to start the season. Nixon's increased role on defense is probably going to have him limiting his special teams contributions a little bit, opening the door for a guy like Reed. Prediction-wise, I think 35-plus catches, which would be a pretty pretty good rookie season output for him. For comparison, Randall Cobb had 34 last year for the whole season. You know, did miss some games in there, but between 30 and 35 seems like a, a nice ballpark for him. I think he cracks 35 or more. 450 or more snaps and will average 8.5 yards or more per punt return. Just to ballpark that, Amari Rogers averaged 8.3 per return as a rookie. Our second-to-last receiver is Romeo Dobbs. He comes into his second season after what I would describe as a very whelming rookie year. Not overwhelming, not underwhelming, just a pretty good rookie year, which is, to be fair, about what you would expect for a fourth-round pick in his first season. 42 catches, 425 yards, three touchdowns. Not too shabby just looking at the counting stats, especially considering how many games that he missed. But the advanced numbers start to get pretty bad. Just to focus on one area, let's turn to 538's wide receiver tracking numbers. They track three stats, open score, catch score, and yards after the catch score. And they combine those into one overall number. In terms of his open score, how often he was getting open, he ranked 54th out of 110 receivers and tight ends in the NFL. Out of, or on the catch score, how often he was catching balls that came his way, he ranked 109th out of 111 eligible receivers and tight ends. In terms of yards after the catch, 74th out of 111, and overall, 104 out of 111. A lot of other comparable advanced stats paint a similar picture that Dobbs just wasn't getting a whole lot done last year. To be fair, in the early portions of the season, Alan Lazard at less than full strength, Sammy Watkins out of the lineup pretty frequently, uh, Christian Watson out of the lineup frequently. When it's just Romeo Dobbs as a rookie fourth-round pick getting a lot of attention from opposing defensive backs, I think it's fair that maybe even his advanced numbers were not all that good. He got thrown into the deep end pretty much right away, and the Packers asked a lot from him. And I think it's worth wondering how his year may have shaken out had he not gotten injured. Because I think as we've said a few times on this here podcast, his ideal role is basically as a sidekick. He needs to be the guy who's making the defense pay when you spend too much time trying to figure out how to stop the ludicrous speed of Christian Watson. He's the guy that needs to have those one-on-one opportunities and make guys pay with his nice route running, which I think is was a skill for him last year that went kind of underappreciated because he got beat up coming off the line a lot when he got free releases, which are guaranteed to no one in the NFL, to be fair. But when he got nice releases, he could do a lot of nice things. Very smooth route runner, can do a lot of things, you know, finding space in the defense. I think some of what you saw last year of him finding ways to settle down in zones and things like that last year should be pretty encouraging. It's just we never really got to see him round into full form after that ankle injury in week nine last year. What a costly game that was. You know, (laughs) Romeo Dobbs getting hurt, Rashawn Gary tearing his ACL. I think there were a couple other injuries in that game. Uh, But Aaron Rodgers playing a, a brutally terrible game on the road in Detroit, and that ended up setting up a whole bunch of consequences for the entire 2022 season. Anyway, circling back to this year, he ends up in this tier because I think the Packers, again, are going to ask a lot of Romeo Dobbs this year. And 
they might be hedging their bets on him already. This may be a quiet put-up-or-shut-up year for Romeo Dobbs because while on the one hand, Dobbs seems to clearly be the Packers' number two wide receiver right now, on the other, the Packers have gone out of their way to get a whole bunch of other guys that have basically the exact same skill set as Romeo Dobbs. Of course, you've got Ture, who came in the same year as Dobbs did, but Dontavion Wicks, very similar sort of player. Grant DeBose, pretty similar sort of player. Even Malik Heath, pretty similar kind of guy to what Dobbs does. If Dobbs falters, there are going to be other guys that are going to be able to slot in pretty quickly and fill basically the same role that he does with basically the same skills. So to meet expectations this year, he's got to show clear growth from last year. I think it's probably going to be worth our time in the next couple of weeks to do a deep dive on how exactly he was used last year because he got moved around a lot because there were a lot of different moving parts in the Packers receiver room last year. That might help us identify some really firm growth areas for him. I think his role is going to look different this year just as a start, but he's got to show clear growth from where he was last year to meet expectations. And really, if he doesn't, he may end up facing some serious roster competition. So prediction-wise, I think 700-plus snaps, 40 catches or more for a second consecutive season, and then he's going to increase his yards per catch to at least 11 this year. I think he's going to get some opportunities to do some different things, and that is going to help him be a little bit more productive this year. Finally, Christian Watson. The toughest one really to talk about at length for me, because he pretty much at least by the end of last season, he was basically exactly what you could have hoped for from rookie Christian Watson. Defining it by one single stat, which is always a dangerous thing to do, but I'd like to return to our explosive plays number that we track week in and week out. He had 12 explosive plays last year, and 10 of those 12 came after week 10. That tells you basically everything you need to know about Christian Watson's rookie year. It's obvious why we would have a high expectations for him. He clearly is the Packers' number one guy, and to meet those expectations, he has to show that he is the Packers' top receiver. Show that you are the guy that other teams have to game plan for. Show that you have some growth in your game, and show that you are worth the Packers' expensive trade-up that they you know, put out there in 2022 to get you. I think he can do all those things. What exactly is it going to look like, though? And this is where it got tricky for me, because I think Christian Watson can do all of those things without having a huge statistical year. And I went conservative on my guesses for where he's going to end up stats-wise. So prediction-wise, I'm not predicting like an 1,100-yard season for him. I think it's going to be more like between 750 and 950 yards. Yeah, I think under 1,000 yards for Christian Watson. He averaged 14.9 yards per catch last year. If that goes down even to 13.5 yards per catch, which it could with higher usage, it could also go up. But, you know, 13.5 yards per catch is nothing to sneeze at. If he had 70 catches on the year at 13.5 yards per catch, that would get him to 945 yards on the season. That'd be 55 yards per game over a 17-game year, and that's assuming that he stays healthy for all 17 games. Now, to be fair... Over the past 10 games, over the last 10 games of the 2022 season, he averaged 16.4 yards per catch. So maybe we're basing this prediction off entire, or a little bit of a skewed number. But I do think he's going to end up doing more mid-range stuff for the Packers this year. He's not going to be just the deep guy. So I think his yards per catch average goes down a little bit. 
I do think he'll end up with between 60 and 70 catches on the year, and he'll probably end up scoring between five and nine touchdowns overall. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe he goes for like 1,500 yards. If so, I will happily accept the egg that will go on my face as a result of that. I'm very excited about the Packers receiving room. Not because I think it's definitely going to be good, but because, well, like a lot of positions on this Packers team, it's going to be different. And it's going to be different in ways that involve a lot of growth, a lot of, did we get our predictions on this guy right from the Packers front office perspective? What did we, you know, what do we see in this guy? Did that end up projecting well for how he ended up really playing in the NFL? It's a fascinating process and one that we'll be fascinated to watch together throughout the entirety of the 2023 season. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.